Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to The Big Tilt, where we handle all your DFS questions and get you ready for the upcoming DFS slate on Sunday, sponsored by Road Underworld and PlayerProfiler.com, and of course, Underdog Fantasy. Code Underworld for a 10% instant deposit match on UnderdogFantasy.com. I am your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at RandallRand, and of course, I am joined by the illustrious mad scientist here at the Underworld, Josh Larkey. Follow him on Twitter at JLarkeyTweets. And we are here to talk about all your DFS needs, the starts, the sits, and the lineups. Mr. Larkey, welcome back to week three. Thank you, Mike. I am excited. This is a great week. We're about to break down this slate. There are multiple game totals that are well over 50 points. This is the kind of stuff that dreams are made for. This is the type of slate that... I believe our work helps give us more of an edge when there's these potential shootout conditions and we're doing some game stacks where we're correlated and we're hoping for some points. Let's do this. Let's get into it. And there's so many interesting games this week. A lot of big games, Josh. High point totals across the board. We will start, as always, with the injuries. Three I want to mention right off the bat. Get your thoughts. Dalvin Cook missed practice with an ankle injury. He's up in the air for Minnesota at home against Seattle. T. Higgins is now doubtful with the Bengals, and Carson Wentz practiced. He may not have any arms. He may not have any legs, but he's trying to get out there again on Sunday. What do you think about Dalvin Cook, T. Higgins, Carson Wentz? So Dalvin Cook's an interesting one. I think that you just have to wait and see with this. I'm actually not super interested in playing him this week. There are just, we'll get into all the receivers, but there's so many great receiver values and just receivers with these elite ceilings in these high game total conditions that this already to begin with wasn't necessarily the week to go spend up at running back. So I think with Dalvin Cook banged up, especially with it likely that he's going to be missing some series at some point, anytime he takes a big hit, sort of like what we saw last week where he was kind of in and out a few times. I think Dalvin Cook, kind of a thin play just to begin with. Not particularly interested in Alexander Madison on DraftKings. FanDuel, his salary is a little bit more friendly. So, uh, yeah, overall, I don't think this moves the needle too much. This wasn't really the backfield I was heavily targeting this week. T. Higgins, this really opens the door for Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd to get that increased target share. And this is exactly what we want, a really consolidated target environment. And I'll actually lump in one more injury, which is the Deontay Johnson being ruled out because of that Bengals-Steelers game. And this just really helps both of those teams where if you're looking to play Bengals or Steelers wide receivers, it's no longer a big three. It's now a big two in both of those teams. So that's very exciting in terms of the consolidation. Carson Wentz, 
I'm not super interested in this indie passing attack. I'm not very interested in a hobbled Carson Wentz, but I do think this makes Jonathan Taylor more viable because even if Wentz is not himself, the last thing you want is to have Jonathan Taylor lining up behind Jacob Eason. They're going to be stacking the box and have absolutely no respect. So I think Wentz mostly helps out Taylor and makes him more viable, but I'm still just not super excited to play these Colts wide receivers. And I think that the the small sample size stats that I've been seeing could be a potential trap where everyone's like, oh, look how many elite receiver performances we've had when targeting this Titans defense. And I look and I check the schedule and I remember we have had two weeks and the Titans have faced far better offenses so far than the Colts. So I really think that receiving game is just a total trap, but for Taylor, yes, I would love Wentz to be out there. Taylor, it's a matter of time. Leading all running backs in red zone touches. He's getting the volume, Josh, and he's being held back in terms of price and being held back in terms of ownership because he's not giving that boom week. But when the boom week happens, it's going to be too late. Cannot agree with you more on Alexander Madison. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We've been down this road with Madison before. He is not active in the receiving game. That's going to be Amir Abdullah. His receptions, Alexander Madison in the league, 10, 13, and so far this year too. So unless he is pounding it on the ground and getting substantial rushing yards, he's going to bomb. And I've been in that spot before. I think if Cook is out, there's going to be a lot of ownership on Madison, and I think it is a mistake. Going to the Rams, Daryl Henderson did not practice. If he makes it back, he's going to be limited. What do we do, Josh, with Sony Michelle? Could get a lot of work against a tough matchup, though, with Tampa Bay. Yeah, Sony Michelle is in a very difficult matchup. I think that if there is a front seven I'm most scared of in terms of my running backs, yards per carry, probably the Bucs front seven. Something positive for Michelle is that when Henderson went down this past week, They ran Sony Michelle into the ground in the second half. He had 10 carries for 46 yards, demonstrating that there is at least something left in the tank and they're willing to turn to him. You did not see Jake Funk getting all of those carries. I think we're probably going to see bell cow Sony Michelle this week. It is a difficult matchup. However, he flashed in the receiving game in the preseason with New England. We know that he's a competent receiver back from his college days and... I think that he's definitely viable, just this is such a high game total. We don't even need the yards per carry. I mean, Sony Michelle could give you 15 carries for 40 yards and fall into the end zone twice and just wreck all of those Rams receiving options and ruin Stafford's day. So I think he's kind of a nice play to fit in as a great run back option for your Brady stacks. And I do expect him to have a 70 plus percent opportunity share this week. Kind of what we saw with Darrell Henderson pre-injury. What I love about so many of these teams that we look, we're going to look at this week is that they have consolidated target shares and the one in Tampa Bay may get even thinner because Antonio Brown dealing with COVID status is unknown. He's going to need two consecutive negative tests. Saw on social media today, that is not likely. So it could be Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. How does that affect the Buccaneers and DFS? I think it just makes it even more attractive to play the Buccaneers. I know Matt went on his podcast at the start of the week and warned you all about playing Tom Brady this week. And that was before we knew Antonio Brown was going to be out with COVID. At that time when he recorded that, the news was not necessarily that he had COVID, but just that there was some type of protocol. We have now known 
he actually contracted COVID. Very unlikely he's going to play. And it really opens things up now because no longer do you have this three-headed monster in the receiving game, plus what looks like a return to relevance for Gronk, plus Fournette eating these targets. No, no, no. We have just X'd out a large portion of the, the eaters of this pie, but the pie itself hasn't shrunk at all. So everyone's getting a larger slice and it just... These, I mean, these salaries are very, very appealing on Evans and Godwin, especially this week. And last one, a big wide out here. DeAndre Hopkins going to be a game time decision. Now he has a reputation of playing in these situations, but I can't help but get excited, Josh, about one of our favorites here, Rondell Moore. Yeah, I'm very excited about Rondell Moore. I mean, this is not a very difficult matchup for the Cardinals. They're probably going to beat the Jaguars pretty badly. They don't even need Hopkins in much of a role. And in fact, he hasn't even had that much of a role through two weeks. So maybe they have been slow playing his injuries, whatever they've been, as he's been out-targeted by Rondale Moore through two weeks. I do believe Hopkins plays, and I really hope he does, because that will decrease the amount of people that want to play Rondale Moore. And I don't think Rondale Moore's role changes all that much, whether or not Hopkins is in the lineup. We've already seen him getting heavily targeted with Hopkins there. We know that this is probably a blowout, most likely against Jacksonville. They just don't need Hopkins to do that much in this game. So probably going to play. We've seen this many times with Hopkins where he's banged up. He misses practice. He has a rest day. And generally, he's a full go come the game. So I'm not too concerned about how this is going to affect my lineups. I'm not very interested in Hopkins this week. Just both the the game situation, what his usage has been, and uh, this potential injury, which might be the reason he's been out-targeted by Rondale. So overall, this doesn't affect too much of my process. The one other one I'll touch on is Odell Beckham Jr. is going to play this week. I think he's in line for a pretty healthy amount of targets. Landry's out. Baker has been playing out of his mind. I posted this on Twitter earlier this week. I really couldn't believe it. I mean, OBJ has not played yet. Landry only played one and a half of the two games. Baker has 11 yards per attempt and an 81.5% completion percentage through two games, yet only one passing touchdown. So I think at some point, the touchdowns will start to come for Baker Mayfield. I don't think this is necessarily the week to be loading up on Baker playing the Bears and Justin Fields. This could be a little bit of a slog game environment, but... Something to keep an eye on is what that chemistry looks like moving forward. Odell Beckham is going to be a welcome sight for Cleveland as Demetric Felton was their leading receiver last week out of the backfield. Let's head into the games. Tampa Bay, Josh, at the Rams. Probably the headline game here of the, of week three slate. Tampa Bay was an underdog by one point when this opened. They are now favorites by one, 425 on Fox. Tampa Bay DFS prices. Brady, we talked about 6.8 on DK, 7.8 on FanDuel. Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, do with that as you may. Chris Godwin, 6.1, 7.3 on FanDuel. Mike Evans still at 6.3, even though he got in the end zone twice last week. 7.1 on FanDuel. Gronkowski is starting to get up there in price. 5.5 on DK, 6.5 on FanDuel. For the Rams, Matthew Stafford, 6.4 on DK, 7.6 on FanDuel. Sony Michelle now, 4,900 on DraftKings, 5,700 on FanDuel. I think we talked about that. 
Cooper Cup, Robert Woods is going to be the big debate. 6.8 on DraftKings for Cooper Cup, 5.7 for Robert Woods, and an even bigger difference, $1,800 difference on FanDuel, 7.9 now for Cooper Cup on FanDuel. Woods is down to 6.1. Van Jefferson, Tyler Higby, 55.5 over-under with a minimal spread. That, my friend, is DFS sex. Yeah, this is a this is a fun game to target. I think it, if we're looking at the Bucks side and you're playing Tom Brady, I think you just kind of pick two out of Godwin, Evans, Gronk, and roll with that. You could even pick three and add in Scotty Miller as your third and just hope that he catches a long touchdown at some point. However, I do think it's going to be a lot more consolidated. I think it's kind of nice just to play Brady, Godwin, Evans because we know that just for some reason people are afraid to double stack, especially when it eats up too much salary. And there is the negative correlation within game generally with these top receiving options where... If Evan scores a touchdown, he's directly taking away from a touchdown Godwin could score. However, this is Tom Brady. This is fast-paced offense. This is a pass-heavy offense. There could be four or five passing touchdowns in this one. Godwin and Evans could each catch one to two touchdowns and not affect each other and both be able to hit a reasonable ceiling. I also think Brady stacked with Fournette is still interesting enough. Fournette, very active in the passing game. He's been in there a lot just each game. And with how high this game total is, you could realistically have Fournette run in a touchdown and still not hurt Brady and having Brady still smash. So I think that's kind of an interesting combo where maybe Fournette runs one in, maybe he catches one as well. There's a lot going on here. I'm not really playing Ronald Jones. I understand he may be the quote unquote starter, but through two weeks now, we just haven't seen it. If Ronald Jones burns me after what we've seen, no production and a timeshare, great. He beats me. I have no problem with that. I cannot give you a rationale for Ronald Jones. Yeah, I understand like, uh, oh, no one's going to play Ronald Jones. So if we play him and he gets us 25 points, we're going to smash. But there's two parts to that. One part is the it is so incredibly unlikely that Ronald Jones is going to hit that mark to begin with. And then on top of it, okay, he hit that. I hope the rest of your lineup was good too. You probably pivoted off some other high-scoring Buccaneers to make that happen. It's just a really, really thin play. And you talk. we've talked about this before. If you're going to play a low-value player, you want the upside that they can smash. I don't see a situation where Ronald Jones dominates the touches over Fournette in this game, barring an injury, or he's so efficient in his touches that he smashes Compare him to somebody like a KJ Hamler. KJ Hamler could go nuts and get two catches and give you the boom week. What is Ronald going to do? Yeah, that's a, that's a great comparison. And I think that's why like when you start doing these wide receiver running back comparisons, the the wide receivers will usually just have the higher ceiling even in those lower price ranges. And that that's a great comparison. Why play Ronald Jones at 4800 on DraftKings when for 3600 you get KJ Hamler who had a 90% snap share this past week once Judy with Judy out. So he's running all the routes. Yep. Maybe he's going to be a wind sprinter. Maybe he'll catch a long one. He could catch two long ones. We've seen him hit 20 fantasy points in multiple games in his short career. So those are the types of pivots where, oh, I really want to save salary. Great. You don't have to go to Ronald Jones. I mean, Sony Michelle is $100 more than Ronald Jones. Right. Exactly. That's the, that the example. That's it. Yes. So like, if you really want that cheap running back to save salary, like, and you just absolutely hate Uncle Lenny, that's fine. We have Sony Michelle for you at 4,900. We have James White in the 4,000s as well. Like there, There's pivot options there. 
And then with the Los Angeles side, I think the the very sneaky play here is Tyler Higby. I understand like that there people are making a big deal out of the Robert Woods Cooper Cup discrepancy in salary as they should. I'm more interested in Woods when he's significantly cheaper and saw nine targets to Cooper Cup's 10 targets last week. A lot can change. Yes, Cooper Cup has been elite in the red zone this year, but again, it's only it's a two-game sample. We don't really know unless unless someone could just confirm mathematically that Matthew Stafford hates Robert Woods in the end zone and 90% of their red zone plays have Cup as the first read. I'm just going to play more Woods if he's less expensive by this margin. And then Higby is just such a nice pivot because we know he's out on the field for pretty much every snap. He's running the requisite routes that we want. And he looked good in week one and then just totally dudded out this past week. And that's what you want. You want the guy that's out there running those routes on an explosive offense who just happened to have a bad week in week two. So then everyone sees that and thinks, wow, half of his games have been duds, not realizing what they're running into with sample sizes. And Tyler Higby, especially on DraftKings, only 4000 I really like that price for him. You're you're unlocking two touchdown upside at 4K. Plus, I mean, we've seen him get the yards before. Another one that I think sort of a, initially looks like a thin play, but I do not believe is actually all that thin. I really like Van Jefferson at 3400 on DraftKings. Yep, I totally agree. Absolutely. St- Still viable, 4900 on FanDuel. What I, what I like about Jefferson is that he's out there for almost every single snap. Deshaun Jackson, I mean, I, I kind of whiffed on him. I was drafting him in best ball early in the summer. I was like, this is the number three receiver in a Matthew Stafford-led offense with Sean McVay. It's going to be so exciting. I'm happy to swing and miss on that one because it has opened up everyone that's just holding onto their priors that Van Jefferson was a horrible pick in the second round. Yes, This was not a great second round draft pick. However, this does not mean that you're not allowed to play him in DFS when he's really inexpensive out on the field for almost every route. He runs sub four, four. What more do you want from your stretched number three receiver in an explosive offense? Josh, that's a great point. Van Jefferson, 3,400 on DraftKings. And just to illustrate the point last week, snap percentage, Van Jefferson, 92%. Deshaun Jackson, 5%. There is no comparison there. That is a great call. Both of these teams have fantastic pace. Tampa Bay is the fourth fastest in neutral game pace per football outsiders. The Rams are 12th fastest. Tampa Bay also cooks in the first half. They're the third fastest team in the first half. So there's going to be points in this game. The Bucs defense is strong, but don't forget, they allowed 29 points at Dallas and then the 25 points at home to Atlanta through three quarters. The Rams are not are strong, but they did allow Michael Pittman, who not exactly, Josh, is known for his separation. He did have the fifth most individual receiving yards last week, 123. So there is value all over this game. I do not think, and I'm going to jinx it here, that we're going to have a repeat of Dallas Chargers from last week. Yeah, I really hope not. Fortunately, we'll... We're, we're probably going to have some pretty heavy exposure to several of these games. I just don't see a world where all three of these behemoth games don't shoot out. Like, at least one of them has to. So if we're if we're game stacking these heavily, it, it's got to pay off, right? I mean, feed, feed me a bone here. I already sat through the that Chargers-Dallas game. I watched all those BS penalties. It's the only game that didn't go over in the, in the afternoon slate. <laughs> slate yeah, that was just... One. I mean, it's a pretty unique game when it's supposed to go way over... It goes way under and we end up having two top 10 running back performances on the same team in that game. 
plus another top 10 performance on the other team with Eckler. It was just a very strange, incredibly running back centric game. And I guess if there's a positive with that, it's going to make people less excited about Chargers Chiefs. It might make people more excited to play running backs, especially multiple running backs from the same game, maybe. So hopefully there's just some weird carryover where it helps us in the long run. I'm trying to rationalize why I played so much Cowboys Chargers last week. So hopefully uh, this week we can get back on track and not have a total stinker in the in the marquee game. Well, another game we're going to love, Kansas City and the Chargers. Chiefs at home, favored by seven over the Chargers. It's one o'clock on CBS. I love the Chargers, Josh. I can't love them any more than I do for DFS because it's so simple. Herbert, Eckler, Allen, Williams, Cook. It's consolidated. You just have to figure out where you're going to go. Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes. I know you agree with me. I think CEH is way too undervalued at this point. There are some crazy things out there. He's the same price, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, as Jeremy Jeremy McNichols, Ronald Jones, and $100 more. Only $100 more than Darrell Williams on DraftKings, but $1,500 more than Darrell Williams on FanDuel. Tyreek Hill, Hardman, I can't quit Byron Pringle, Travis Kelsey. Break it down. Where are you going here for value with Chiefs Chargers? So I think you summed up the Chargers well. Like, There's not too much to talk about in terms of like, oh, this guy's a sneaky play. I think you just, you're probably going to double stack Herbert or if you single stack him. I like the idea of kind of a double run back where you have CEH plus a Chiefs pass catcher. Herbert's probably going to be my most played quarterback this week. I can't get off him. And I love that he's not passing for touchdowns this year. He has everything you want. He's thrown for about 350 passing yards in back-to-back games. The air yards are there but only one passing touchdown in each game. That's probably not going to last. Unless you listening at home think Justin Herbert is probably going to finish the season with 17 passing touchdowns when he was over 30 last year as a rookie, then you probably want to play some Justin Herbert. The touchdowns will come. He's throwing a lot. They're fast paced. And then on the Kansas City side, I don't need to sell you on Hill. Kelsey, we know it's very consolidated. My sneaky play this week... I mean, hold your nose, but Meikle Hardman. Yes, believe. Yes. He had eight targets last week. And what I love is that it didn't show up in the box score, but he was open on a deep pass and he would have had a monster fantasy day last week and Mahomes overthrew him. That's what you want to see. A lot of targets, including the deep targets. Do I think Meikle Hardman is a very good player? No, not really, but... If they are going to force feed him and try and show that this was a proper second round NFL draft pick, similar to the Van Jefferson in LA, then I will be dabbling in some Meikle Hardman this week. None of us thought David Montgomery was a good running back, and it didn't matter the second half of last year. It doesn't matter with Meikle Hartman. It's like the rock and wrestling. It doesn't matter that we don't think he's that good. He's there and he has the opportunity. Any concern with Kelsey? I know that sounds stupid to say, but in the 13 games in his career against the Chargers, only 10 PPR fantasy points per game, 4.6 receptions, 6.5 targets, under 45 receiving yards per game, and only 0.15 touchdowns. That's two touchdowns in 13 games. I know it's Travis Kelsey. I'm not talking about seasonal, but would you maybe shy away a little bit from him given that he's so highly priced at the tight end position? I'll still be playing a lot of Kelsey. However, I think your splits bring up a good point. He has struggled historically against the Chargers. And I think that this slate does give you some nice pivot options. I'll probably be playing a good amount of Kelsey, 
more so because I just like this game environment and I'm going to be playing a lot of Mahomes and Herbert. But I do think that there are nice pivot options. Yes, there are sometimes that that doomsday slate at tight end where it's Kelsey. And then you look and then for some reason it's like, oh, Noah Fant is the second best tight end or uh, like Pitts is the second best tight end. You realize just this massive gap. But we have Waller, we have Gronk, we have Hawkinson. So I do think that if you want to pivot from Kelsey, there are so many viable options where you can save salary and get a, potentially a more volatile player, but also someone who can at least get you the 20 fantasy points this week. Because some weeks you look and it's like, well, you can't really envision more than a 12-point ceiling for anyone other than Kelsey and his 30-point ceiling. So this is a good week to pivot if you want to. And Matt talked about it with Herbert. You said it before. The ninth most expensive QB on FanDuel. I had seven QB7 or better performances last year. The discount is there. That's not going to last very long, folks. Justin Herbert is going to have to keep up in this game. So a lot of fantasy production. And don't be afraid. Don't have the knee-jerk reaction or have recency bias. Stick with the guy. Stick with what we know and we believe here. Next up, Seattle. Now a favorite minus two at Minnesota. A game Josh the Vikings are going to desperately need. I was very high in the Vikings preseason. Their defense has been abysmal. I thought it would be much improved. Cousins came out. He competed last week. We talked about the fact that when you're looking for a quarterback in a tournament, sometimes you can go with that team that is a slight road underdog. That's what happened last week, but they fell short because, again, the kicking woes stayed with them. With Minnesota, Kirk Cousins, we don't know about Cook. Madison, both you and I don't like as much. He's 6,000 on DK, 5,200 on FanDuel. Interesting here, Thielen still underpriced. He's below Justin Jefferson by $500, despite the fact that I don't think anyone's realizing that KJ Osborne is cutting into Justin Jefferson's production. They used him in in a big third down against Cincinnati, used him in a big third down against Arizona. They're not afraid to go to him. And then there's Tyler Conklin at tight end. For the Seahawks, similar to the Chargers, Russell Wilson, Chris Carson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. Don't forget about Gerald Everett either, especially this week. Talk to us about the Vikings and the Seahawks. So yeah, I think that the Delvin Cook injury will probably help out the the raw pass attempts of Kirk Cousins. The efficiency is kind of de- to be determined, but generally what we're chasing in DFS is that usage and the the kind of projected game script and projected play calling. They're probably going to call more pass plays than usual. And then you also couple that with they're playing against Russell Wilson, who has just been cooking out of his mind. He needs a Michelin star at this point. He can kind of be the the co-owner of this Russell Wilson restaurant with Shane Waldron, who I understand the pass volume hasn't necessarily been there overall because uh, they, they've kind of been pummeling opponents at times. But the, the pass efficiency is incredible. They're passing early and often in these games. With Minnesota, I like Thielen on DraftKings, Jefferson on FanDuel. I kind of just, again, I will slightly favor whichever option is cheaper when I think their roles are similar enough. KJ Osborne, more appealing on DraftKings. These The thinner plays will almost always be more appealing on DraftKings the way the salary structure is because on, dra- on, on FanDuel, the salaries are a lot more uh, condensed in that there's not as much of a gap from the low to high-end prices. So why would you pay 5100 for Osborne when Jamar Chase is 5900 or Claypool's 58 whereas on DraftKings Osborne's 3500 and Claypool and Chase are still in the 5k range. So that's just a a good way to think about some of these plays and when you're thinking okay logically 
what is FanDuel encouraging me to do? What is DraftKings encouraging me to do? FanDuel will pretty much always encourage you to play your studs. DraftKings will encourage you to chase the targets with some of these less expensive guys to open up the more expensive plays on the slate. Osborne still viable. Conklin, I think, still a viable punt play, more so on DraftKings, but uh, I just don't see the upside for him this week. It seems like rather than heavy tight end usage, at least early on this season, the the Vikings have favored more of these three receiver sets. Osborne's emergence has been nice. Also, just losing Irv Smith for the season and then having Rudolph go to the Giants. A little more difficult to justify these two tight end sets when suddenly it's Conklin and Chris Herndon. So I think that's something to be aware of is that there's still this narrative that they're always going to be running the two tight end sets. And uh, it turns out maybe the, the actual tight ends there play a part in that. So yeah, I, I think Cousins, you can double stack him, especially on DraftKings. Russ is one of my favorite quarterback plays this week because it is just so consolidated. They don't really have that third receiver. Freddie Swain had that nice long touchdown grab last week. However, he's a little banged up. Eskridge, last I checked, was still in concussion protocol. Metcalf and Lockett both have a 30% target share on the season. Will that probably come down for them? Yes, I don't think there's ever been a time in history with two receivers with the 30% target share. However, it's probably not going to come down by that much. They were both in the mid-20s last year. And if anything, it just looks more consolidated this year. So I'm very excited, especially on FanDuel. I mean, you won't believe it because the the 6'4", 225-pound freak in DK Metcalf, who is the perfect FanDuel target because he's fast, huge, and catches long touchdowns, he's 7200 on FanDuel, which is $800 less expensive than Tyler Lockett. Little hard. I, I love Lockett, but pretty hard to justify a lot of Tyler Lockett over Metcalf with that kind of price difference on a platform which historically supports players with Metcalf's profile. It doesn't make any sense. Knee-jerk reaction. That's why they have it down there, but we have to take advantage. And the flyer for me is Gerald Everett. Minnesota secondary has been rough, but they're also the Vikings are also yielding 14.3 yards per reception opposing tight ends. They have not had many targets, only about eight or nine, I believe, targets, but they're getting a lot of production. So Everett could be a flyer if you want to go there. One interesting point on Everett, because I've seen some takes that he's completely done. He had two targets in back-to-back weeks. It's never going to happen for him. But if we look a little deeper at the snap share, he and Will Disley were both playing quite a few snaps in week one, and that split just grew significantly in Everett's favor in week two. And again, this is only his second, that was only his second time ever playing with Russell Wilson. So to be able to see the snap share that's closing in on 100%, that's a positive development. Let's go to a game that we like, but many people won't. Ravens are favored by eight points at Detroit, coming off the big win over Kansas City. Got that that old albatross off their back. Baltimore, you have Lamar Jackson, Tyson Williams, Latavius Murray, Marquise Brown. I have to tell you, Josh, he's really impressed me. Looks like a different guy. Could be the number change, the number five. But he looks fast. He's active. He's getting the targets. Mark Andrews as well. With Detroit, it's Jared Goff, DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams. Forget the receivers. And, of course, death taxes and TJ Hawkinson this year. Hawkinson is the fourth highest tight end on both sites. Yet he's about $3,000 less than Travis Kelsey, who he could outscore this week because we know the Ravens get destroyed by tight ends. The Ravens have given up. You know, it's Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey. I understand that. 
29 targets, 15 receptions, 214 receiving yards, and two touchdowns. So something to consider there with Hawkinson, but you find value here with the Ravens Lions, don't you? Yeah, I really like, uh, just like you, I like Marquise Brown. I was very out on him going into this season because he just, he couldn't even really crest 20 fantasy points in a game last year, despite the 30% target share. Then on top of that, they drafted Rashad Bateman, which I thought was kind of telling that we don't believe Marquise Brown is actually a wide receiver one in this league. We knew Mark Andrews would be involved. We knew Sammy Watkins was coming there. Bateman goes on IR. Mark Andrews' target share has decreased fairly significantly. It's still not bad, but it's getting to the concerning level. He's below 20% on the season. Marquise Brown is just blowing me away with how fast he looks. I think he's probably a little bigger. He's getting peppered with targets. They're actually throwing a little more. It It's very exciting for Marquise Brown. So I think that he's a really good play on both sides. You don't really want to double stack Lamar. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember where I saw this stat, but I saw, I saw it floating on Twitter. Essentially, Lamar Jackson does not have games with more than two touchdowns. They're really hard to come by. If you're playing both Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews, hoping that they each catch a couple touchdowns, I hate to break it to you, but it's just really unlikely to happen. The only time I can remember Lamar really going off in the passing game was that it was that Dolphins game from two years ago when everyone knew the Dolphins were fully tanking. It's opening day. Yep. yep. So yeah, I'm just not that excited about double stacking Lamar. I really like him just kind of a skinny stack, just him and Marquise Brown. And I think you can even double run back with Swift and Hawkinson. Last week was a really positive development for Swift. I know that he his targets went down. However, Jamal Williams was barely utilized at all in that game. Jamal Williams, only three targets in that last game. It's good news for Swift. Swift was out there when the game, not that the game was on the line, but when the game was sort of in that long down and distance, two-minute offense, it was always Swift. Swift was catching those passes. He had, I think, three catches for 40 yards on that final drive. That's what you want to see. Those high-value touches starting to go to Swift. And, I mean, FanDuel, he's priced up at 7400 It's not that you can't play him, but... It's just, it's not a fun play when you look at his projection and his salary. But I mean, on DraftKings, when nobody is playing DeAndre Swift, I've looked at the projections. People do not like DeAndre Swift because Lions bad, Ravens good defense. However, DeAndre Swift at 5,800 is in the same range as some pretty gross options at running back. It's hard to imagine playing Damian Harris, who's going to be more heavily owned than DeAndre Swift. How do you do that when they're similar salary? DeAndre Swift, I think, is actually the rare receipt or the rare running back where dollar for dollar his ceiling looks similar to the receivers and his price range. I think that's super attractive on DraftKings. Hawkinson, like you said, how do you not just keep playing the guy? 5,200 on DraftKings, 6,300 on FanDuel. For some reason, they just don't quite want to price him up. It's probably because he's on the Lions. Maybe it they add it's added that. They played on Monday night, so then when you set salary Sunday night, they didn't know he was going to have the same the same week two usage as he did week one. I don't quite get it, but jam him into your lineups again. I'm expecting 20 more fantasy points from him. I think it's a, it's a good game where you can go, because usually with Lamar, it's tough because you're like, all right, I've got Lamar. Maybe I've got Marquise Brown. I run it back with a guy. Now there's still six spots in my lineup. There's so many decisions. But with how consolidated and inexpensive the Detroit guys are, I like the idea of going Lamar, Marquise Brown, and then running it back with Swift and Hawkinson. So now you've taken up 
four roster slots, you have fewer decisions to make, fewer places to go wrong, and if Detroit in any way makes this competitive, or if they have enough garbage time, next thing you know, you've got four spots in your lineup hitting, and people just don't like this game. There's not going to be a lot of people playing those four players in the same lineup. They're afraid of the Ravens controlling the tempo and it being a blowout, and they're afraid that the Lions are terrible. Folks, the Lions have competed two weeks in a row now, and being 0-2 at home under Dan Campbell with his multiple mochas or whatever he's drinking, (laughs) they're going to come fired up. They're going to compete in this game. And listen, sometimes the obvious play in fantasy is so easy. We talked all offseason. Jared Goff to the Lions, doesn't throw deep as much, short to intermediate routes, not a lot of options for the Lions at wide receiver. Boy, Hawkinson could have a big year, huh? Yes, that's exactly what it is. Sometimes it's really just that basic. Yeah, I think what's interesting is if, if you look at how much people are playing these guys, Mark Andrews is expected to be in about twice as many lineups as Hawkinson, despite them being only $200 different in salary. How, how can you play Mark Andrews over Hawkinson with two times the vigor when Hawkinson's only $200 more expensive? We know that the Lions are going to be passing more. We also know this offense is competent enough that they're sustaining drives, they're scoring touchdowns. It's just, it really is just Lions bad. Dan Campbell, idiot, because he drinks coffee and bites kneecaps. Their offense has actually been fine through two weeks. Like the offensive line is playing well, they're... Even with this horrendous receiving core, they're moving the ball down the field. Yeah, I think that this is just going to be the the arbitrage offense week after week at this point, I think, is just playing some Lions. Giants at home, minus three over Atlanta, one o'clock p.m. on Fox. I think this is a huge focus, and I think, Josh, it's going to be under-owned. Matt Ryan, 5,400 on DK, 7,000 on FanDuel. Matt Ryan, if you look at all the QBs in DFS this week, is the 20 first most expensive quarterback in a game that Atlanta is going to want to win for an offense that got going on the road against Tampa Bay last week, which has a much better defense than the Giants. He is a huge value for me. Mike Davis, Cordero Patterson, Ridley and Pitts, another consolidated target share. Both Ridley and Pitts got hot last week and started making plays for the Giants. Daniel Jones, he is the overall fantasy QB four through two weeks. Saquon Barkley is still Cost is still down, 6,500 on DK, 6,000 on FanDuel. Sterling Shepard's been amazing. Kenny Galladay's at 5,600 on both sites. Darius Slayton for a home run. Giants Atlanta, again, getting overlooked, but I think Josh is going to be some points here. Sort of sneaky that the over-under is around 47, 48 points. Yeah, it is kind of a sneaky game. And Russell Gage, he's out. That opens up Olamide Zacchaeus, I guess. Not someone that I'm really trying to play. If you're looking in that price range, there's Osborne. There's KJ Hamler, so I wouldn't really be going to him, but someone that you're allowed to have on your radar. But I think this just makes Ridley and Pitts even more viable, gives them more targets. Mike Davis has actually had a really solid role. He's had the targets, he's had the rush attempts. Do I expect him to get uh, to seed the the touchdown to Cordell Patterson through through the air and on the ground like last week, where Patterson had a rush touchdown and a receiving touchdown? Probably not going to keep happening. Those will most likely be going to Davis in the future. So I think that you can go back to the well on Davis. I know that he's going to be kind of popular this week, but I still think he's viable just with, especially on DraftKings, the incentive to save salary, it being a PPR format, and Davis just getting seven targets after seven targets. 
Ridley and Pitts, the great target shares, they're running the right routes. The one cautionary thing that I will say, though, about this Atlanta offense, I watched the game last week between Atlanta and the Buccaneers. In the fourth quarter, when the game was still within about 10 points, it is still attainable. Fourth quarter, though, time's running out. Repeatedly, the Falcons were slamming Mike Davis and Cordero Patterson up the middle. And I don't know if this means that the play calling is off. The other thing that I was worried about is maybe they are just tanking. It, I just I couldn't quite figure out what was going on. It's something to monitor. Maybe they really are actively trying to lose these games and that they're purposely doing the suboptimal play calling. But after that drive of just slamming running backs into the offensive line, they pulled their starters on the next possession. And it made me a little worried that Ridley wasn't out there for all four quarters. Pitts wasn't out there for all four quarters. Something to be aware of and to kind of expect because this isn't one of the marquee games. And that if you're playing this, prepare for disappointment. However, also know that it is a decently high game total. Very consolidated, especially on that Atlanta side. With the Giants, it's significantly less attractive in the passing game. In my opinion, outside of Sterling Shepard, who is just a target hog this season. I'm not quite sure what's happening with Evan Ingram. I've seen kind of conflicting reports whether or not he's coming back. If he does come back, I really think that this just kind of hurts the passing game in general from a DFS perspective because the pie isn't necessarily getting bigger, but now we have an extra mouth trying to eat some of our pie. I think the the really good play here, and for some reason, like he, he's popular, but you would think this would be the 30% ownership type of play with Saquon Barkley coming in on DraftKings at 6,500, and then on FanDuel at 6,000, how is this not the player that you're just jamming down everyone's throat? On four days rest against the Washington football team on Thursday Night Football this past week, Saquon saw almost all the snaps, handled almost all of the touches. Now he has 10 days rest. He's facing a significantly worse defense in Atlanta. I really think that the the two optimal ways to attack this game are Daniel Jones with someone like Shepard, where you hope Daniel Jones runs one in and then you can run it back with Pitts and Ridley with Pitts or Ridley. Or if you're going Matt Ryan with Ridley and or Pitts, running it back with Saquon. That's a very fun one. So I think I'm gonna have a good amount of exposure to this game. Probably not in the ways most would expect because I won't be game stacking it quite as much, but I think there's a lot of just very interesting individual pieces here. And then my favorite is Saquon Barkley. All right, man, a couple rapid-fire targets, and we'll finish up. Jets-Broncos, only 41.5 over-under, but Cortland Sutton, 159 of their 328 passing yards and 12 of the 34 targets last week. He is the clear alpha in Denver. What do you do, Josh, with players like Sutton who appear in a low game total but look like they're going to get that massive usage? So I think that, yes, Sutton's attractive. I think Fanta's attractive. I think Hamler's attractive. However, that shouldn't make you think that Teddy is a great quarterback to play. I don't believe Zach Wilson can sustain a shootout right now at this point early in his career. He's looked pretty bad through two games. The Denver defense is ferocious. I think you can kind of one-off play Sutton, Fant, or Hamler in your lineup, and I don't even think that you should run it back with any Jets. I think you can just have that one uncorrelated piece and say, you know, we know Denver is going to score some points. It's probably not going to be a ton. However, Every single receiving option in this Denver passing attack has such a cake matchup against the Jets secondary that it's pretty easy to see one of them going off. Do I think multiple will go off? Probably not. Am I excited to play Corey Davis or Elijah Moore? No, I am not. 
So I think that's kind of the move is you can kind of, you one off one of those three in Denver. Javante Williams is also still intriguing. I think he will be every week just because there's not really the chance that if both are healthy, Melvin Gordon suddenly gets 80% of the touches, but that's still in the range of outcomes that even if both are healthy, there could be a Javante Williams takeover game. So I think that you can just, it's going to happen at some point, most likely this year. So be aware of it. However, I think with Clyde Edwards, a at 4,800 on DraftKings, Sony Michelle, 4,900, James White in the mid fours as well. I think that there are some options that I still would prefer straight up to Javante. Justin Fields gets that star for the Bears at Cleveland. Listen, Cleveland struggled against Patrick Mahomes. That was expected, but they struggled against Tyrod Taylor before he went out. That was unexpected. What do you think about the Konami code rookie Justin Fields here for the Bears? I think he is your cash game superstar of the week. If you're building a cash game lineup, especially, I mean, DraftKings 5,200 for Justin Fields. That's just, that's pretty ridiculous to be able to pay 5,200 and get a guy that's projected for 17 to 20 fantasy points. I think that is your cash game superstar. He is supposed to be fairly popular. I don't like him quite as much in these large field tournaments. I think it's fairly unlikely that this is just an unleashed Justin Fields. I like him more as the cash game salary saver. However, I think he's worth a flyer in these tournaments just because we don't really know what to expect from him. Will they open up the passing game for him? Probably not in his first start, but we can't really rule anything out. So I think you should at least consider him just because this Cleveland defense has been pretty bad. They were actually really bad last year, or I guess good last year when it came to targeting them in fantasy, allowing a ton of points to quarterbacks and receivers, despite having Miles Garrett in what on paper looks like a good defense. Same thing this year that on paper, it looks like a top five unit playmakers all across the board, but the results have not been there. I know that they were shredded by the Chiefs and Mahomes had a good game. Mahomes has a good game versus everyone, but even against Houston, Tyrod Taylor looked pretty serviceable before his hamstring injury. So I think that you're allowed to play Justin Fields. I just wouldn't, I'd recommend being a little below the field on him. He's going to be very popular. I think you can make a couple Justin Fields lineups, but just don't get carried away. Prefer him in cash. You and I love to pay down for running backs, but two guys who I want to get your opinion on who should have a ton of volume this week and moving forward, Najee Harris, Joe Mixon, and that slobber knocker between the Bengals and the Steelers. No Deontay Johnson, no T. Higgins, probably going to be low scoring, but how do you address them? Point totals 43 and a half over under Harris and Mixon. A lot of work in a low scoring game. I think with both of them, you can do a little skinny correlation where if you go Mixon, you can pair him up with Claypool or Juju. I prefer Claypool. I just think he has a much higher ceiling. With Harris, you can pair him up with Chase or Boyd. I wouldn't recommend playing Najee Harris and Joe Mixon in the same lineup, even if they're projecting decently well. What? How, how do two expensive running backs hit at the same time? It's a little bit difficult to have the right game environment. I, yes, I know I talked before about how we saw it with Chargers-Cowboys this past week. However, that is not the norm. It's pretty rare. And you don't really want to chase the game environment where both running backs go off. So I think you can play either one of them naked, one of them with a pass catcher on the other end. But overall, I'm not very interested, even though it's a consolidated target share. I'm just not that interested in Roethlisberger or Burrow. Bad game conditions, but these individual receiving plays are interesting. Why not run it, run it back with a little skinny correlation on the other side with one of those running backs? 
one of the highest sort of attention games that people are going to have to watch this week, Patriots and Saints. Saints, which which is the real Saints? Please stand up. The one that destroyed the Packers or the one that got crushed by the Panthers. And here comes New England. They've done a decent job. They should have won the Dolphin game, took care of business against the Jets. But Mac Jones is going to have to pass in this game, Josh, because I don't think Damian Williams is going to be that effective against the Saints' run defense. So Jacoby Myers, Aguilar, Janu Hunter, where are you going here for value with the Saints-Patriots? I still don't think these tight ends are very much in play. They're cannibalizing each other. Neither has really emerged with any type of uh, elite target share of any kind. I think you could play Myers or Aguilar. This just overall, though, is not the game I'm excited about. The game total is not super high. These are two very solid defenses. So overall, I'm not that interested outside of, I think James White is still the best play here. And I think that he's also kind of the reason why I'm less excited about Myers and Aguilar. Whenever you have these pass-catching running backs that are just soaking up target after target after target, that is PPR gold for the running back, and then directly stealing targets from those receivers. So I think White is probably the best way to attack this game. Still not that interested. I know it's sad, but I don't think we can really play a lot of Kamara yet. The role is just not what you want. In fact, if you just look purely at usage, and this is going to offend a few people out there, but... DeAndre Swift's usage this season through two games has been better than Alvin Kamara. Definitely. Definitely. So if you want a pass catching running back, Swift, James White, not Alvin Kamara. It's unfortunate, probably a wasted first round pick on those that took Kamara. Do not try and make up for that mistake by doubling down on your mistake and playing a lot of Kamara in DFS. And the last one, very sneaky, Trevor Lawrence with Jacksonville. No one's going to play him. What do you think about Trevor Lawrence here against the Cardinals? Oh, baby. Trevor Lawrence against the Cardinals is, it's hard to get much more fired up than when you're looking at nobody playing Trevor Lawrence. Nobody's talking about him other than, I, I have seen so many columns this week where people go, here's my busts of the week. Trevor Lawrence is at the top. It's Urban Meyer. Trevor Lawrence had over 50 passing attempts in week one when they were trailing heavily against the Texans. We have already seen, I know it's a rookie quarterback. Usually they don't have a lot of pass attempts in their rookie season historically. Fortunately, we know it's possible for Lawrence because of that week one game. We know that they're willing to just turn him loose and see what happens. Over 350 air yards in both games so far. James O'Shaughnessy is on IR. This is Trevor Lawrence, Shark, Chenault, Marvin Jones, and nobody else. 5,500 on DraftKings. You should be playing some Trevor Lawrence and pick two of those three receiving options. There's a good chance that with incredibly affordable prices, you're going to be able to get 20 to 25 targets out of a pick two with those guys. They're all incredibly inexpensive. It opens up so many incredible little micro correlations that you can make in your lineup Oh, you're interested in Tyreek Hill and Keenan Allen? Great. You can sneak them in if you go Lawrence with Chark, Chenault, and then run it back with Edmonds. You could run it back with Rondale. There's a lot of different ways to be able to access this game environment and get more expensive players with super high ceilings in your lineup. And I would caution you from playing Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray has been a fantasy superstar through two games through two games he's averaging 35 fantasy points a game but if we look at his usage 32 pass attempts week one 36 pass attempts in week two 
seven passing touchdowns. Do I really think that he's going to have this 12% touchdown rate game after game? Probably not. Only five rushing attempts in each game, yet he had a rushing touchdown in both of them. Just over 30 pass attempts a game with five rushing attempts a game? That's not really getting me all that excited when the guy is by far the most expensive quarterback on both platforms. This is the perfect time to fade Kyler Murray. This is not the defense that you want to target. I know it's like, oh, Jacksonville, it's going to be, they're just going to smash, 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 smash. No, that's not really how it works. Do you want to know who's allowing the third fewest fantasy points to receivers this year? The hapless Jets secondary. And it's because Zach Wilson can't sustain these shootouts. Trevor Lawrence probably won't be able to sustain the shootout. You're playing him because nobody else will and it's a consolidated target share. Murray, you do not want to target this week. I just, I I could realistically see Trevor Lawrence with two Jacksonville pass catchers running it back with Rondale Moore winning the Millie Maker this week. Folks, there you have it. The Sunday slate, all the information you need to win the big money. That's what we want here. We have the lineup genius, everything you need at Player Profiler. Don't forget, the Pick'em games on Underdog Fantasy are incredible. Go to Underdog Fantasy, type in code UNDERWORLD for a 10% instant deposit match. Josh, it's been a pleasure. We're going to win a lot of money on Sunday, and then we're going to sit back and celebrate on Sunday night and watch Trey Sermon take over the 49ers backfield. What do you say? Josh, it's been a pleasure. We're going to win a lot of money on Sunday, and then we're going to sit back and celebrate on Sunday night and watch Trey Sermon take over the 49ers' backfield. What do you say? You know what? A man can dream. We'll see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Elijah Mitchell, sort of limited. I'm actually, I have to give it to Trey Sermon, though. The guy's a dog. I watched his concussion. It looked like he had two concussions on the same play. Somehow he's already shed the non-contact jersey. I don't know what this guy's made of. It's like some boxers where you're like, you know, this is not a human chin. Something is inhuman about Trey Sermon. Maybe he is just so fired up that the sixth round pick took his job. I'm here for it. So I'm looking forward to that game. But do I think it's probably going to happen? I'm going to be the analytics guy. I'm going to run my numbers. Probably not. However, Ayuk, on the other hand, eh, still a chance for him too. Folks, Josh Larkey, follow him on Twitter at jlarkeytweets. I'm Mike Randall at Randall Rant. Big tilt, week three in the books. You know this is not a human chin. If Ronald Jones burns me after what we've seen, no production and a timeshare, great, he beats me. I have no problem with that. I cannot give you a rationale for Ronald Jones. My sneaky play this week, I mean, hold your nose, but Mecole Hardman.
I cannot give you a rationale for Ronald Jones. 